Let me start by saying a couple of things in that we all come into these passages on marriage in various states of brokenness, okay? Um, I think that needs to be acknowledged by all of us as we come into a series like this. So whether uh, we are married, whether we're single, divorced, whether we're widowed, nobody comes into this warehouse unbroken, okay? Um, So if you are married, let me encourage you by saying that God can fuse those areas in your relationship that have been severed and seem beyond repair. He can bring those things together. The gospel means that things can be restored regardless of the state that they're in. If you're single, God is committed to you in this season. And He does that by intentionally going after your heart, even in series like this with grace and love as a way to deepen your affection for Christ and your sanctification in the truth. So as a single person that's trying to engage in a series that might feel like, man, what does this have to do with me? God is using it to work His Word in and through your life. If you're divorced or widowed, man, I know the subject of marriage can just drudge up memories that are too painful or surface some bitterness or maybe some unresolved brokenness in your life. So let me encourage you by saying that God is near. God is near to you whether you're bitter whether you're somebody who just feels sort of submerged in brokenheartedness, um, the message is that healing is available if you go humbly before the Lord, casting your cares on Him and calling upon a brother or sister in the church to walk alongside you in your sadness or maybe your anger or maybe your grief. The body of Christ is available, okay? In that way to act as the head and heart and hands of Christ for all of us, in all of our various states of brokenness that we bring into a series that just surfaces so many things for us in that. So let me, let me pray for us as we begin. Lord, we do come before you this morning in various states of brokenness as we look at marriage and the relationship we each have with it. And we know our lives are not hidden from you, So we pray to You, Holy Spirit, that You would use the words we're about to read and receive from God's Word to bring humility and healing and hopefulness to our souls as we place our trust in Christ once again who redeems and restores all things for the sake of His name in whose name we pray. And together we said, Amen. Well, just to go back a little bit, uh, two weeks ago when we started week one of this series, um, which we are calling Redefining Marriage, what we realize is that it's not that we've really been redefining marriage, it's that we haven't been. The fact is, is that we misdefine marriage. And what we need to do is constantly be redefining it according to God's Word. So that's something that the church needs to exercise, right? We need to go back into God's Word repeatedly and say, what is it that God is calling me to be and to do in my role as a husband or a wife? And then how do I come before Him and follow those things that He's laid out for us? Dave Harvey said, we, I read this quote from Dave Harvey from his book uh, in the first week where he says this, what we believe about God determines the quality of our marriage. And so what we know is that God intentionally orders the household. And He did that. He put an order into place starting at creation by assigning roles 
of equal worth and equal dignity to both men and women, which is why it matters what God has designed marriage to be, not what we want it to be. Remember the first week I said, it doesn't really matter what you think about marriage in as much as we don't bring our own definition to the table and then try to live that out. When that happens, this is what happens. Disaster, chaos, broken relationships. It's kind of like when you go to uh, the art museum, which occasionally Big M and I here, we go up to Cleveland and we hit the art museum. Now, man, I, I go in there with, with a measure of understanding that the artists have painted something that is their work of art. Like I don't just, you know, I don't like sneak in some brushes and some paints and do some touch-up work on the Rembrandts. Like I don't go there and do that, right? That is their work. That was their vision for what they wanted to be on that canvas. It's the same thing that God has done in regards to our marriage. And then last week, we did week two, and we learned about what God has called women to be in the role that He's called them uh, to exercise, which is to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. And what we learned is that submission is the way that a wife serves the Lord. And it's what makes submission, remember we talked about this, it's what actually makes this word submit and submission safe and sanctifying for us because it's done as to the Lord. Author Liz Wan, who I quoted last week, she made this really, really amazing statement where she's described uh, submission as a choreographed ballroom dance. And if you watch uh, Downton Abbey, you know what a ballroom dance is. Um, But what she said is, we bend and flex in order to achieve unity, trust, and humility, which we see in Jesus, who did what? Well, she says, who submitted to death without which we wouldn't even know salvation. So submission, she says, is the heart of Christianity. So that's what we learned last week, and today, as promised, we're going to see what the Bible has called men to be as husbands. And by the way, I'm, it's just we're a lot fuller this week than we were last week, and that just kind of struck me as I'm looking out here uh, t- on all, on all of you fine people uh, this morning. So I'm going to start by reading Ephesians 5.1, which we actually just read uh, in, in our liturgy. And it says this, if you look down at, at chapter 5, verse 1, it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And then Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So right off the top here, Paul's instruction for all people is to imitate God. And what we know about imitation is that we imitate people who we spend time with and people that we love. I I hate that my wife points this out, but every time I walk, she says, oh my gosh, you walk just like your dad. And I'm like, do I? Because I remember the way he walked and and I always thought he looked crazy. You know, like he always had this thing where he was doing, you know, I don't know what he was doing. I'm like, do I really walk like that? And she goes, you do. She goes, I think it's cute. And I don't know why that bothers me so much. Um, but I imitate my pops because that's who I had. That's who I walked with. That's who I loved. That's who loved me. I walk like the person who raised me, who drew me up, who trained me. So the instruction here is to imitate God. And we do, we imitate the person we spend time with. And then he says, walk in love. So the fruit and evidence, okay, follow me here of imitating God is that you'll walk in love. 
So someone imitating God, the natural byproduct, the way that you are going to imitate is that the steps you take are always going to be loving steps towards one another and ultimately towards your spouse. Now, the problem with that, and this is kind of what we're going to key into a little bit uh, this morning, the problem with that is desire, okay? Because ultimately, we all display the things that we most desire. So to walk in love, okay, if we're going to get down to some practicalities here, to walk in love means you must reorient yourself to God so that your desires become redirected to Him. And in the case of husbands and wives, your wife receives the love you have for Him. So let me say that again, okay? You must reorient yourself to God so that your desires become redirected to Him and your wife receives the love that you have for him, okay? So see, you may have the desire to love your wife. Like if I walked up to some of you, and you know, most of you guys are gonna be lying when I ask you this, but do you, I mean, do you wanna love your wife? The reaction is gonna be, well, yeah. So many of you may have the desire to love your wife, but if you're not loving her the way God has called you to love here, here's what's happening. It's because you have a greater desire that overwhelms your desire to love her. And that is the desire you're obeying, okay? Now, I remember uh, me and Melissa, man, we, uh, we, you know, we go shopping, we like to go to Target, right? And uh, I, I remember there was, uh, this was a couple years ago, and uh, she, uh, she kept telling me that she wanted this garlic press, okay? And I'm like, yeah, great, and, you know, we got garlic press. You know, and so we'd leave Target, and a couple days there, she's like, gosh, I really want that garlic press. I'm like, weren't we just at, like, Target for that garlic press? She goes, yeah. And then, like, this went on for, like, months, and um, this wasn't the only time she did. I'm like, babe, I'm like, how much is that garlic press? And she's like, you know, it's like $12. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, buy the garlic press already. I mean, that church isn't paying us a million dollars a year, but we can afford the $12 garlic press. All right? Like, like, we can, like we can run. We can run in those circles with garlic presses and things of that fancy nature. All right? And so like, this just became a running joke for us because she has these things that I call dare to dreams. So she has these like crazy items under $10 that she just won't buy. And I'm like, well, dare to dream. I mean, I think we can spare the $4, babe. Like, roll with it, right? And so those are our dear. So in other words, here's my point. Here's my point. She has the desire to buy that garlic press, but there's another overwhelming desire, which I don't know is frugality or I don't know what it is. And we got to chat about this after the service. She's going to let me know what this is after the story. But there's an overwhelming desire in her, even though she wants that garlic press, that's preventing her from buying it. And so what we really want to get down to today as we talk about husbands loving their wives as Christ loves the church is how we reorient ourselves towards God and redirect our desire to Him so that we love our wives the way in which our love for Him spreads out to our wives, if that makes sense. So let's just read this passage, verse 25 through 33. It says this, Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. 
Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's God's word for us. And we are going to really just camp out for the most part in verse 25 today. And the first thing I want us to take note of is although God lays out in the previous verses like we read last week, although God lays out male headship, right, when he's when he's encouraging wives, he's calling wives to submit to husbands because they are the head of the household as Christ is head of the church. As he lays out male headship in that passage, nowhere does he call men to exercise that headship when he gets into uh, uh, commanding what their roles are. You guys see what I'm saying with that? He doesn't call you husbands to lord it over your wives. He's not calling you husbands to establish control. Tell her who's the man. Right? Or recite Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 every time your wife disagrees with you. That, that's not the instruction here for us. He calls you to love. That's what he does. The first thing that comes out of Paul's mouth after laying out to the women what it means to submit is he tells men to love their wives. This is how he actually defines headship. So if headship is just this big, scary, just gross, monster-like word, well, Paul describes it as love. This is how men are called to lead in this headship role as modeled by Christ. He says, husbands, love your wives. So kind of like we did last week, let's just pause right there and let's ask the question, what if we just stopped right there? What if we just stopped right after Paul says, husbands, love your wives? There's obviously nothing wrong with husbands being charged to love their wives, even just right there, right? If he just stopped right there. But what happens if you stop there without any sense of right motivation or redefined desire? What happens if you just do that? Well, let's lay out a couple of things and let's keep it real basic. You might, one, as a husband, you might just give her the things she wants, right? If, if Paul just says, husbands, love your wives. You might just try to be nicer. You might just end up trying to be a little more romantic. You might just put in a bigger, stronger effort to show more sensitivity. You might decide to try your best to be a little more helpful around the house. You might commit to her to make some more responsible choices, etc. It goes on and on. Now, fellas, ain't nobody going to accuse you of doing any of those things too much, right? And none of those are evil desires necessarily, all right? So I'm putting a qualification there, necessarily. But if Paul doesn't mention any of those things that has to be telling us that there's something deeper that he wants us to understand here, right? In other words, if all he said was husbands, love your wives, and stopped there, our tendency as dudes would be towards drawing up transactional honeydew lists that you'd then accomplish on your good days that, again, might keep you out of the doghouse, but would also attempt, listen, to justify your lack of desire to love her with the kind of shepherding and sacrificial love that he's actually calling you to love your wife with. Does that make sense? In other words, there has to be a deeper, a richer, a higher love from which all the things I just mentioned will be the outflow. It's kind of like we talked about the last couple of weeks. There has to be more than marriage. When we're talking about marriage, there has to be something above marriage. Marriage in and of itself can't be the goal because we're going to hit a ceiling because we have a spirit battling against the flesh 
And the flesh is going to prevent us from meeting our goals. If our only thing is to have the goal for a good marriage, it doesn't work. It's not good enough. And it's why if you go to Barnes & Noble right now, you're going to find sections with bazillions of books telling you how to meet those goals, how to meet those marriage goals. There has to be something higher, richer, and deeper. There has to be a rootedness for which those kind and fruitful actions can grow out of. God is not calling husbands to behavioral modification, okay? Even if, listen, even if by doing those things, your wife might be pleased and satisfied to a certain degree. God is still not calling us as husbands to behavioral modification. This is why the gospel is so important for us. Because it helps. It helps us understand love is not simply a behavioral command, but a willful offering. In the same way that we talked about wives submitting to husbands. In other words, man, we, we teach animals how to behave by giving them a treat, right? You might believe your pet loves you, but you know he loves your treats. Like there's no debating that. And if you have a cat, you're not even sure about that, right? At the end of the day. Paul isn't asking husbands to love their wives so that blank, fill in the space. Paul calls you to love God so that you will love your wives rightly. Do you guys get that? Well, what is a right love? Well, he says it right here in verse 25. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here's a question. What would it say about God if all he required of husbands were to be nicer, turn up the romance to 11 for Valentine's Day, and finally put that alert on your phone to remember your anniversary? What would that say about God? What would it say about his love for you, women, if that was the type of love he was calling for your husband to provide for you? Well, it would say that the only thing he was concerned about was our wives' feelings and emotions. Instead of reorienting the state of our hearts toward a renewed desire to sanctify and cleanse our wives to the washing of God's word, which will someday be presented to God as holiness and sanctification. So what would it say about God if it was that thin? If it was just, man, just do some of these things so that you get along. There's something bigger. There's something broader. There's something more beautiful here in play. So what does this kind of love look like? Well, it looks like the way that you love yourself, oddly enough, which is what Paul instructs us here in verses 28 through 29. He says, it's natural for you to nurture and cherish your own body. And that might come as a shock to some of you that it's a natural thing for you to take care of yourself, even in the ways you don't take care of yourself technically, that is the way that you are taking care of yourself, right? If your greatest desire is to eat, I don't know about you boys, but I eat, right? If your greatest desire is to shower, I kind of like to hop under the hot water, you know? Uh, if your greatest desire is to get dressed, that's debatable some days, but ultimately I get dressed, right? You don't hate yourself, you cater to yourself. You give to yourself. And you give to yourself every moment of every day. And this is Christ's relationship to the church. Christ, what does He do? Christ gives. Why? Because God gave Christ, His only begotten Son, to die because of love. Now this is different than the way the world loves, which is to gain. 
It's a gain-only kind of love. God's love was that he gave. The world loves to gain. God loves because he gave. Again, it's the difference between something that's self-gratifying versus something that's self-sacrificing. Two different kinds of love. Self-gratifying means that we will willfully pursue those things that fulfill our own desires. Self-sacrificing means that we will willfully give up our own desires for the benefit of another's well-being. I mean, man, you guys that have babies, I mean, are you not living this out like every single day, every single night? You guys are doing nothing but sacrificing sleep. You're sacrificing this end of each side of your shirt, which is just just a like bleached out white, you know, whatever that stuff is that they're spitting up on you all day. You're sacrificing your time. You're giving everything to them. You're sacrificing your cash because you're broke because these kids want to eat and you got to buy formula and it's outrageous that they require so much of you. But you willingly do it, right? But you don't wait for your little baby to look up at you, acquire speech, and tell you that you need these things. You willingly offer them to them. Why? Because God has placed them in your care and you have a heart of sacrifice and love for them. So in the same way that wives willfully submit to husbands, husbands are called to love their wives willfully. So this kind of love we see here is an act of the will. It's not just a physical or an emotional response to what your wife does for you or doesn't do for you. It's not, uh, I scratch my back, you scratch mine. It's not, I will if you will. It's not that. It's a love that demands the totality of who you are. It's a full-hearted love that commits fully to the heart of your wife. It's a life grounded in love. It's an all-in love. We see this all the way through the book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 4, verse 2, 15 through 16. Chapter 5, verse 2, which we just read about walking in love. The whole book of Ephesians is grounded as we live out the gospel in love. The way to live out the gospel is to be grounded in a love for Christ that is lived out to everybody and everything around you. That's the big idea. And here's the reason why, is because we don't see a half-hearted love from Christ. Right? Christ never says, you know, I tell you what, I'll be willing to give this relationship a shot and just see where it goes. I mean, that's not, that's not Jesus. The model and grounding for this kind of love is Christ and the church. The description and character of this love comes with the line, and he gave himself up for her. Jesus gave himself as a willing victim for the sake of our well-being. You know why? Well, it's not because we asked him to die. None of us asked Jesus to die, right? God loved us by willingly sending Jesus, and Jesus loved us by willingly obeying God's commands for people like us who did not love Jesus and did not obey God's commands. This is a love that says, I'm choosing to give myself to you. It's a willful submission in the same way that wives are to willfully submit to their husbands. It's also an active love. It's also an intentional love. It says, Listen, I'm going to love you not because you're lovable, right? Just like women are not told to submit because their husbands are just profoundly submittable. Jesus didn't choose us based on our lovableness or our submissive spirits because those two things didn't exist, 
right? In the same way, we choose to love and then we love our choice through an active lifestyle that puts her needs, her wants, her desires, her well-being before ours. John Piper says this in his book, The Passion of the Christ. He says, husbands are not Christ. So rest easy, ladies, all right? Husbands are not Christ, but they are called to be like him. And the specific point of likeness is the husband's readiness to suffer for his wife's good without threatening or abusing her. This includes suffering to protect her from any outside forces that would harm her, as well as suffering disappointments of abuses, even from her. This kind of love is possible because Christ died for both husband and wife. Their sins are forgiven. Neither needs to make the other suffer for sins. Christ has borne that suffering. Now, as two sinful and forgiven people, we can return good for evil. That's amazing, isn't it? It gives you a sense of the heart of what Paul is driving at here. So, what are some of these Christ-like loves that you should pray for the desire to walk in so that loving your wife with a love that imitates God like Christ is happening for you? Well, here's a few. I don't usually ask you to do this, but I would commit you to write some of these things down. We're going to breeze through just a few different kinds of Christ-like loves. Um, If you're not a writer, that's okay. I'm actually not a writer either. Um, we have notes in the back for those of you who commit things to memory by writing them down. That's certainly not, the doesn't need to be the case for all of you. Um, but it might be helpful to write these things down, to discuss them uh, with your wife. So I encourage you to do that right now as we go through a few of these. So what we want to do as men who want to reorient ourselves towards God so that our desires are redirected towards Him for the good of our wives, we want to pray. We want to pray for that desire. We want to pray for a desire for these different loves, for these Christ-centered loves. So we want to pray for and practice love that, number one, is intentional and initiates. Love that is intentional and initiates. Ephesians 1 verse 5 said, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus according to the purpose of His will. So God made a plan and Jesus fulfilled it. Do you see that there? Sacrificial love is a love that's intentional and it initiates. Not reactive, but proactive and preemptive. Okay? Listen, fellas, passivity, which is one of the banes of the modern church with men, passivity does not promote peace in your relationship. It's not, it may feel like it is, but it is not promoting peace. We have peace with God. Through Jesus, because why? Because he was passive? No, because he initiated God's plan by intentionality, which was going to the cross. Passivity, you know what passivity is? It's a lack of obedience. And it's a love of self that causes wives to suffer. But intentional love encourages. Intentional love enables your wife to use her gifts. Intentional love prioritizes prayer with your wife. Intentional love allows you to say, baby, we need to dive into God's Word together. Intentional love causes you to want to develop a type of life-giving communication so that you have channels that are open to hear each other speak and listen to one another. You know what this is? This is hard 
and this is humbling. I remember years ago when Melissa and I committed to starting to pray together. It was brutal. Sometimes it's still hard. Because every time I bow my head and I, and I open my mouth, and I don't do it in, in this kind of a, of a thing where everybody's expecting the professional to open his mouth, it's really humbling for me to pray for my wife, to pray things for my wife while we're sitting there, you know, on the couch or in a chair. It's hard. And it's really humbling. And you know what God does in that? And He softens my heart. He makes me more aware of her needs and her wants and her desires. So we need to pray and practice for love that is intentional, initiates too. For love that denies itself. For a love that denies itself. Matthew 6.24, if anyone should come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We do that even when it doesn't come naturally to us. And you know what? Let's be honest, it doesn't come supernaturally to us. But it's being willing to risk conflict for the sanctification of the relationship. And for some of you, denial is going to look different. For some of you, denial means speaking up when you would naturally stay silent. All right? For some, it's learning how to control your tongue and being gentle. Both are denials of your natural self. You know what it is at the end of the day? You know what a self-denying love is? It's getting to know your wife's wirings, desires, loves, fears, and anxieties. Because you're denying those things in you that are warring against and preventing you from wanting to invest in your wives, right? It's not always just giving in. If you're loud, quiet yourself. If you're quiet, you might need to speak up. Those are just some practical things. But it's a love that denies itself. Thirdly, love that is understanding. First Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean he's saying that women are weaklings. He's talking about physicality here. Honoring your wives as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. How do we understand our wives? Well, one way we do that is by trying not to fix everything. Men are just natural fixers, right? And we're born with this tool belt you know, around our waist in some ways. But love that is understanding isn't always trying to fix. It's learning what our wife thinks about things. It's not assuming that she must think how we think about everything or that she should. Okay? Respect, honor, and value your wife's opinion and seek to learn how she thinks and feels about all the different things that you think and feel about. That is understanding your wife. Three, love that shepherds. In Matthew 9, we're given this amazing verse where Jesus, it says Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So the heart of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus were, was that he had a shepherding heart. He had shepherding eyes. Husbands, shepherd your wives. Shepherd your wives like Jesus. Invest in them spiritually. Protect them from influences that would draw them into idolatry. And create distance from Jesus. For you fellas, it is part of your role and your calling to know your wife's spiritual pulse. Because here's the thing. Lazy, bored, disinterested, checked out men do incredible damage to their wives who need a shepherd, not a self-consumed slacker 
You guys hear me with that? Five, a love that listens. Love that listens. Psalm 4 verse 5 says, The Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. God hears us. Like when we hear, we gather on a Sunday, and we worship the Lord, He hears the longings of our hearts. He hears our praises. He lets us cry out to Him and share our worries and our anxieties and our hopes and our dreams and our failures. Sacrificial love is a love that wants to hear the heart of the person they love. And a lot of times men are told this, you hear, but I don't feel like you're what? Listening. Listening is not just waiting to speak your opinion when they shut up. If your goal is going after your wife's heart, you're going to ask a lot of questions and listen to a lot of her answers. So make time to listen. This is the call to make time to listen. You know? You can turn the TV off. You can check Facebook a little bit later. Don't reduce your communication to simply information transfer. Let your wife know that she has your ear the way God has His ear for you. Six, love that is grace-filled. 2 Timothy 1.9, He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, it says, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So a love that's grace-filled means that you are okay with your wife's faults. You are patient with her growth. You are somebody that steps back and overlooks some of the wrongs. You are not somebody who has a mind of pettiness that picks at her, but every little thing that she's doing that isn't adding up to your vision of what a wife and a marriage should be. What you do is you give her grace, and you give her grace because every time you take a breath, you remember that those lungs go in and out because God is saying, okay, lung, one more time, go in and out. That changes everything when we understand the grace we've been given as a way to give it to our wife. Love that forgives A love that forgives. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Paul says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. So tenderhearted here, it means your desire is to be soft. Your desire is to not hold any record of wrongs. It means when you're sinned against, your first thought is how deeply you've sinned against God, which then allows forgiveness to flow out of you more readily and more easily, and with a greater desire because you are transfixed at all times with the truth that God has forgiven you. And then finally, number eight, love that is controlled. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. So a love that is controlled is a gentle love. It is a love that doesn't fly off the handle. You know what it really is? It's a love that can be trusted. Wives need to know they can trust the actions and the emotions of their husbands. That they will show godly self-control. That they can be strong under pressure and be an anchor for them when life takes a downturn. Those are just some things. Again, 
If I was somebody who liked to preach an hour 15, we could double or triple up on those things. But I'm having mercy on all of you here at Substance Church. But those are eight ways, eight different kinds of Christ-like loves that we need to pray for and practice. And again, these aren't just things that we go out and just all of a sudden snap our fingers and try to do. What we want to do first and foremost with our wives, what did we say at the beginning? We want to pray that God reorients us toward Him so that our desires are redirected toward Him so that our wife receives the benefit of these Christ-like loves from us because our desires are changing for God first, which will then spread out and flow out to her. So, As we close, husbands, to walk in love means you must do what we just said. If this becomes your life pursuit, and if this becomes your life pursuit before all other things, family, career, hobbies, finances, and your wife, if your desire for God comes before your desire for your wife, before your desire to even love and please your wife, you will establish a godly and gracious presence within the home and within your marriage as one who unashamedly washes and sanctifies your wife by God's Word. Listen, at one point, a man named Jesus died on a cross and then walked out of a tomb to show us what can happen to those who die to sin and are resurrected to new life. It's possible to love like Jesus if you've been raised with Jesus. So men, renew your desire for your wife by renewing your desire for Christ and imitating the very way He walked in love for the sake of the joy of the church. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank You that we don't have to walk blindly in and out of our marriages wondering what it is that we are called to do and and how it is we are supposed to accomplish it. You've given us clear instruction. It's hard instruction because of the fall, because of the sin that exists in our hearts. These things are hard to live out and we cannot live these things out perfectly. But we know in Christ we have grace. We have grace to live these things out. We have the ability to be understanding. We have the ability to listen and forgive and to be controlled and to be intentional and to initiate. So God, I pray for the men of this church, Lord. I pray that they would rise up as men of God, that they would be husbands, Lord, who seek You first, even before their wives even before their families, their careers, their hobbies, their finances, that they seek You before and above all things, Lord. And let these Christ-like loves that we just laid out, let them flow to everybody in their lives so that they have families that flourish rather than being victims of self-love. Lord, don't let that be said about us, the men and the husbands of this church. And Lord, let all of us benefit from that, regardless of what season we're in, what stage of life we're in. Lord, we all benefit when men fulfill the role that they've been called to love as Christ loves the church. It permeates all in our congregations. 
So Lord, give us strength. Give us grace to do this, to accomplish this. Sanctify us through these hard seasons that some of us may be experiencing in our marriages. Lord, don't let them sit idly by. Let them seek good help, good counsel. Let them seek friends in the congregation to walk alongside of them through difficult times. And Lord, continue to reorient ourselves, redirect ourselves back to You. Lord, and let us have a love, Lord, that flows to the inner reaches of our wives and our families. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.